the Word, uh, you just need to get out of the way and let the word, word speak, so we're not really winging it. But we are going to be in Matthew. I heard, uh, came in right about 10 minutes before Sunday school class in it because I had to check in at, you know, the Brian Bible Seeker Sunday school class, mine over there at Grace, and then we drove over here, and uh, I guess you guys were in Matthew, and I know last time I... Uh, was able to join you on a Sunday morning, and Alan was in Matthew, so I guess, I don't know if you guys are still in Matthew, but we're going to be in Matthew this morning in the uh, 24th chapter in what's commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples. But as many of you know, if you've heard me speak before, we don't stay in the uh, like one passage, you know, and just, but I mean, we, uh, we will, uh, we compare scripture with scripture, hopefully under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24, but as we gather together, and for those that are joining on webcast, remember the camera adds like 30, 40 pounds, I think, so I'm not, I'm not near as big as I look like a like I am on the webcast, I'm sure. Much, much, much thinner than that. But anyway. <clears throat> First, I'll start at Hebrews. We're not going to be in Hebrews, but we'll start Hebrews uh, chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 25. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's basically what we're doing here together. They, a lot of churches use that verse. You'll see it on their sign, and they t- use it as talk about, hey, you need to be at church, you know, whenever the doors are open. That's really not what that's talking about, because uh, you've got to go to the whole context of the book of Hebrews. But anytime a like-minded group of believers gathered together like we are here this morning. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's why you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because it says you're supposed to get together and encourage one another through the word. And it says all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what day are they talking about? Right? Is the day drawing near right now? Absolutely. Okay? Keep your eyes on what's going on in the Middle East, right? With the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is set aside at this time, as we will see in the Olivet Discourse. But God, it's a temporary setting aside, right? So it says in the book of Romans, it's a partial blindness for a period of time. Okay? But the church hasn't replaced Israel, as is taught in a lot of churches today, right? The church hasn't replaced Israel. God still has his purposes for the nation of Israel, right? They're still his chosen people. Just because of their continued disobedience, as we saw in the Old Testament, they were set aside for a time, right? For two days, it says in Scripture which is this current dispensation that we're living in, which is commonly referred to as the church age, but it's really a dispensation, two-day dispensation, 
where God called out a people for his name, right? The church, all right? So, yeah, I'm very interested in what's going on in, with, the, with the nation of Israel. Don't know if this is the preludes of uh, the Psalm 83 war that's mentioned in Psalm 83. Anybody read Psalm 83 before? It's a short, short psalm, but, well, let's just turn to it. We can do that. We're in the Word. We can turn to Psalm 83 before we start with the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. And as I read through this short psalm, just, just listen to what, he's, what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 83. It's a psalm of Asaph. O oh God, do not remain quiet, do not be silent, and O oh God, do not be still. For behold... Your enemies make an uproar, and those that, who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people. And who's God's people? The Jews. And they conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. What does Hamas say they want to do to Israel? Okay. What does the radical Islamist, when they're rattling their sabers, say? Right? Verse 5. For they have conspired together with one mind against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Jabin at the torrent of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became as dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God. What are they trying to do to the land of Israel and Jerusalem with help from the United States from America's government, right? They wanted to parcel up the land. Verse 13, O oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest, and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Fill their faces with dishonor that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever and let them be humiliated and perished that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Right? You see, they're conspiring together over there. And now, you know... Who would have thought we'd live to see the United States, which really has been their only friend for decades, since 1948. And now what, what are we doing as a government? Not as, you know, even some churches, like I said earlier, even some churches teach that replacement theology. They've turned their back on Israel and think the church has replaced Israel and God had nothing to do with Israel anymore. That can be further from this book's teaching. Common teaching in 
supposed evangelical churches now, and evangelical universities, you know, Christian universities. You got a lot of people that are, you know, it's not just the mainstream media, it's in the church that think what the Israel and the IDF's doing, you know, they're, they're thinking that they're just aghast that they're killing the, you know, people in Gaza. Well, what other nation when they're going to war drop, you know, tells people they're coming? And drops pamphlets and says, hey, get out of, the, get out of here. We're coming. Right? And then when they don't get out, and the Hamas uses their, their citizens as human shields, and then they come in and do what they said they were going to do, then everybody throws their hands up, oh, I can't believe the Israelis. You know, everybody's turned their back on them. Just Psalm 83. Now, I'm not saying this is the Psalm 83 war. I'm just saying it could be the early, you know, early start of that, you know, when all those people, all of them get together, you know, and do that. Of course, God's going to take care of it because he's always, you know, Israel will not be wiped off the face of the earth. Not going to happen, no matter who thinks it will. They are God's people. Psalm, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Like I say, the last time I was able to come over on a uh, Sunday morning, Alan wasn't, I don't know if he's going all the way through the book of Matthew. He was in Matthew at that time, and then I heard the last part of the Sunday school lesson when I got here, and I hear uh, in the Matthew 13 parables, or at one time he was in <laughs> But uh, we're going to be in the Olivet Discourse, and I'm sure this is familiar to a lot of you. You may have studied it before, but my mom always said, you know, repetition is the key to learning. So I've obviously studied the passage before, but we're going to go through it again. And it says God's mercies are new every morning, right? So I always, as you're studying the scripture, something always pops out to me that I didn't see before. So Matthew 24 says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And then obviously he went up on the mountain. And he says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately. So what kind of discussion and teaching was this? It was him and his disciples, right, on the Mount of Olives, saying, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he's not, they're not asking for two different signs. That's a statement that's connected. It's one sign for his coming and the end of the age, because they're going to happen at the <laughs> same time, right? So they're asking for what's the sign of the, your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. 
Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So that's the start of the Olivet Discourse, which we will, won't obviously be able to cover. The, this is a teaching I did in a Sunday school class. It took, obviously, several weeks to do, so we won't. But actually, the Olivet Discourse is a tripart discourse. You know, it has three parts to it. And God's number is three, right? His number of completion. Remember, the Trinity is obviously three persons. The God has as a Trinity. Man is a Trinity, right? Because we were created in the express image and likeness of God, spirit, soul, and body. All three parts must undergo salvation. Okay. God, uh, Jesus Christ had three offices that he's going to perform, right? Prophet, priest, and king priest, the great king priest after Melchizedek. God, that's God's divine number of completion, three. Of course, man's number six. You also have another complete number seven, ten when you're studying scripture, 40. It's not numerology, okay? <laughs> it's God has an affinity for numbers, and he makes that... That's an, more understandable for puny man, right? The types and the antitypes, and the numbers stick out like that. But the Olivet Discourse actually has three parts, and it covers all three parts of mankind. Jews, the Gentiles, and the church, or Christians. Okay? Starts with the, Gent uh, the Jewish section, is what we were just reading. Okay, so obviously it... Takes, it takes them into what period of time did it mention? The tribulation period, right? Because is God, God dealing with the Jews right now? Or is he currently dealing with the Jews? No, they're set aside, right? They've been set aside for two days, which is this current dispensation, as we said earlier. So he's not currently dealing with the Jews so that time period of the Olivet Discourse when the Jews come back into focus is called the time of Jacob's trouble, right? The tribulation period, which is yet future, okay? So he takes them and he tells, they ask him, hey, what's the sign of your coming in the end of this age? And he takes them right to the tribulation period because who was he talking to? His disciples. They were Jews, Okay. They came to him privately on the Mount of Olives and asked him that question, and he answered it. So for them, the Jewish nation, the Israel, they're set aside right now. He won't start dealing with them till he's done dealing with uh, the current people that he's dealing with, which is the church, Christians. Okay? So he takes them right into the tribulation period. Because they're set aside. So why are they set aside? Well, go back to Matthew 12 and 13 where I heard some of the Sunday school lesson. Jews are set aside because of their continued unbelief, which climaxed when he came the first time offering the Jewish nation what? The kingdom of the heavens, Right? In Matthew, when it says in your English translations, kingdom of heaven, in every place in Matthew, it's literally the kingdom of the heavens. It's articular, 
and it's plural in every case. They just leave it out in the English translations. So he was, came to them the first time offering them the heavenly sphere of the kingdom. Okay, there's one kingdom, two spheres, right? Earthly sphere and a heavenly sphere. They've never lost their earthly promises, okay? And the land they're living in right now doesn't encompass what they were promised. And we're still trying to take that away from them. Okay? <clears throat> but he came to them the first time offering the nation of Israel, because he came to his own people, right? Offering them the kingdom of the heavens. But they had to do what? Repent. Book of Matthew says, Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And what did they do? They rejected it. Okay? Scribes and Pharisees had a big part of that. You go back to Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> we'll pick it up around verse 15. It says, But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed uh, followed him, and he healed them all, and he warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. Okay? He was blind, he couldn't speak. <clears throat> All the crowds, verse 23, were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Now the construction of that phrase, question in the Greek, has a negative connotation. So these Jews were saying, is, is this the son of David? But they were really thinking, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if it... And why were they had a negative connotation? Because what the scribes and Pharisees had been doing, going about discrediting Jesus, right? The religious leaders of the day. So the people were confused. They saw him doing all these healings and all, and then in this verse here, and here's really a turning point in Jesus' ministry, okay? But, they, you know, the construction of that question in the Greek has a negative response attached to it, you know? They're like, is this the son of David? Because he's doing all these things we heard he was going to do, but I don't really think it, he can be because of what the scribes and Pharisees have been going about doing. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, here they come again, Right? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And this is that common, what's this commonly referred to? The unpardonable sin, right? Jesus, in verse 25, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any house, city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 
If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house? You, you, you all read through that. So go to verse 36. He says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it. When? In the day of judgment. Verse 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then the Pharisees and the scribes come again in verse 38 and say, Teacher, here's the pivotal turning point in Jesus' first appearance. Then the, some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And who requires a sign? Paul tells us in Corinthians. Miss Pat, the Jews require a sign. It says us Greeks, us Gentiles, which I'm not part of. Remember, I'm part of the church now. But the, the Gentiles seek after wisdom, right? Just like in, in the Greek days and when he went to Corinth. Remember, he didn't find a lot of believers in Corinth. But the Jews, it says in Corinthians, require a sign. So here they come asking to him for a sign. And he says in verse 39... An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. So where did his focus turn from in this first coming now? First appearance. He'd been talking about what? The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Now he says no sign is going to be given you but the sign of Jonah. What's that referring to? Jonah's a dual type in the Old Testament, right? Jonah's a type of the nation of Israel, and he's also a type of Jesus Christ. What happened to Jonah? He was thrown overboard into the place of death, right? So what is this sign of when he brings Jonah in? It's pointing to Calvary now, right? He came to offer him the kingdom of the heavens, but because of what the scribes and Pharisees did, and he was discred they were discrediting his whole ministry, then you have a critical turning point right here. They, the scribes and Pharisees come asking for another sign. He said, there won't be any sign given to you except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. So now he's turned from the kingdom of the heavens to Calvary because they're rejecting his offer. And it says, verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So obviously that's pointing to his death, burial, and then eventual resurrection. So he, he turned, his whole, whole ministry turned its focus now from the kingdom of the heavens to Calvary because of their continued rejection of his offer. So even though you see them set aside, really, at verse 23, it talks about their, I mean, chapter 23 of Matthew, right before he goes up on the Mount of Olives, go to chapter 23, verse 37. 
Um, go back to verse 34. Chapter 23, verse 34. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Upon who? The Jewish people. Okay? From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Very famous verse. Verse 37. Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, here's the proclamation, verse 38. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And that desolate in the Greek is eramos, which has to do with like a desert or a wasteland. Okay? And the house, obviously, is the house of Israel, which includes the people, the temple, the city. When it's referred to that in Scripture, the house, it includes the Jerusalem, the people, the temple. It says it's left to you desolate or like a wasteland. So he makes the proclamation here at the end of verse chapter 23, but really, earlier in Matthew, you see in verse chapter 12 and 13, he had turned his focus away from offer, offer of the kingdom of the heavens to Calvary because they kept re, they were rejecting it. And the scribes and Pharisees were that's why all the woes and the were were pronounced against the scribes and Pharisees because they were the religious leaders of that day and they were turning the people away from his offer and from Jesus Christ. Remember, it said they sat in Moses' seat, right? And they said. And Jesus said, you're shutting up the door to the kingdom of the heavens in front of men. You're not going to enter, and you're keeping them from entering. And he pronounced all those woes on the scribes and Pharisees, and then he pronounced desolation on the house of Israel. The end of chapter 23, right as he goes into the Olivet Discourse. So then when his, his disciples come to him on the Mount of Olives... Right? And ask him that question, he takes them right to what period in time? The tribulation. Because they've been set aside now for two days. They're not going to be healed until the third day. There's that number three again. Right? Go to Hosea chapter five. I wasn't going to use my iPad because I got the Bible app on there and I can just push little buttons and and I don't have to flip back through the, but I decided to remain old school and do it this way. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 5, leading into chapter 6. Start verse 15 of chapter 5 in Hosea. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. Are they doing that right now? What's the name of Jesus to the nation, to Jews now? They deride it, right? All those Jewish comedians we know, they make fun of Jesus' name, right? They don't look at him as blessed. 
They look at him as a joke. You know? Verse 15. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, in their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Come, chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know who? The Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. So the disciples come to him on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him that question, and he takes them straight to the tribulation period, because right now he's, God's not dealing with the nation of Israel. They're still... What you see over in Israel is just a small percentage of world Jewry, right? And they're there in unbelief. Okay? They have to be there, <laughs> right? Because in the tribulation period, remember, they're going to restore the temple, start the fact sacrifices, and then what's the Antichrist going to do at the midpoint? Abomination of desolation. So Jews have to be back in the land. They were going to start the sacrificial system back at the beginning of the tribulation. And then at the midpoint of the tribulation, Antichrist comes in there and desecrates the temple. Right? He's the great, he's part of the Satan's great deception. See, the tribulation starts when? Well, it's after the rapture. A lot of churches commonly teach that the rapture starts the tribulation period, but that's not biblically correct. Tribulation period starts when the treaty is signed between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. Okay? There's an indeterminate period of time between the rapture, when, the, when we're raptured out of here, and the beginning of the tribulation period. Tribulation starts when that treaty is ratified between the man of sin, the Antichrist, and the nation of Israel. Okay? So that's why when they come to him on the Mount of Olives asking that question for a sign, he takes them right into the tribulation period because that's when God will start dealing with the nation of Israel again, right? And the tribulation period is for the Jews and it's for bringing them to the place of Repentance. Remember, that's what he came asking them to do in Matthew, right? His first coming. He said, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And they, for the most part, they wouldn't do it. Select, select Jews, obviously. What was the early church made up of? Jews, okay? But as a nation as a whole, they, didn't, they wouldn't repent. So his focus turned there, as we saw, from the kingdom of the heavens to Calvary. And then they slew the one that brought the offer, but they didn't apply the blood. Remember? You've got to appropriate the blood. Start back in Genesis chapter 3, right? Then in Exodus 12. What happened in Exodus 12? The Passover. Okay? They had to do what? 
to get ready for the death angel? They were given a way out, right? The Egyptians weren't. The nation of Israel was. They had to slay an unblemished lamb and do what with the blood? Apply it to the lintel and the door doorpost. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay? There was obviously a blood blood appropriation done in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve fell, what did they try to do? To cover themselves. Fig leaves. That's another little study there. Figs. Right? But they tried to do it with fig leaves. Was that satisfying to God? So what did he do? Clothed them with animal skins, right? Which obviously would entail the death of an animal and the, and the shedding of Blood. So it started back in Genesis. Then in Exodus 12, you see the appropriation of blood. And then the nation of Israel slew their Passover lamb, but they didn't apply the blood. All right, so it'll start with a, the appropriation of blood at the end of the tribulation period. Because remember, just like in Egypt, with the Passover, they were under great persecution, right? Until they finally turned and cried out to God, said, God, you know, and who did he send? He sent Moses, the deliverer, right? Well, just like in the type in Exodus, in the tribulation period, they'll become under such great persecution that they'll finally turn and cry out to God, and he'll send another deliverer, right? The one greater than Moses, Jesus Christ. Then they'll look on the one whom they're pierced, and a nation will be born in a day when they apply the blood. But that won't happen until the end of the tribulation period. And that's what the tribulation is for. Yes, the Gentiles who are still left here on earth will have to go through it, and some will be saved, right? Majority of them are going to die, sadly, okay? But some will be saved. And we see that in the Gentile section of the Olivet Discourse, which we're not going to obviously be able to get to. But we start off the Olivet Discourse, start off with the, the Jewish section, and then it goes to the Christian section, and it ends with the Gentile section. And there's a, there's a change that's denoted in Matthew uh, when you start the next section, you know, the Christian section which we can go back to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We'll just touch base. right In Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, when it says, Now learn, that's the Greek, and I don't know, you know, pronounce Greek, but it's A-P-O and then D-E, apo, de, where it was translated into English, now learn, and that denotes a change in, the, in what, what the subject matter, or who, you know, what's being talked about. And that starts the Christian section. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, it says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. There's that fig again. Right? Who's the fig tree in Scripture? Israel, Miss Pat. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. Now we just got out of the Jewish section of the Olivet Discourse. Now we're starting the Christian section. And he says, Now learn. When, the, when its branch has be, already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. And when did that occur? May 14th, 
48. Okay. Did it have it? Did it produce any fruit? This fig tree? No, it just said it put forth its leaves, right? Because Israel's still in unbelief, right? They can't produce fruit. So in this verse here, it says, now when you see the fig tree and it's put forth its leaves, it didn't say anything about the figs because they can't produce fruit. It says, you know, summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Who's the he? Jesus Christ. Verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation he's talking about? He's not talking about the disciples back when he was talking to on the Mount of Olives. The church generation, really the generation that sees the fig tree bud. So he's talking about us. All right? I wasn't around 48. I know I look like I could have, but I wasn't born until 1961, okay? But I'm still part of this generation, okay? The generation that saw the fig tree bud, it said this generation will not pass away until you see all these things take place. So are we living in the end times? Absolutely. Okay? Genesis starts off with a septenary arrangement. Septenary, just a fancy word, having to do or deal with sevens, right? Got how many days in Genesis? Seven days. John, which is another study, John really should start the Gospels, not be the last Gospel. John, the book of John has it starts off the first chapter with a septenary arrangement. Okay, when did the first miracle of Canaan and Galilee take place? On the seventh day. Want to look it up? We'll go to it. Go to the book of John, chapter 1. And really, so you have the Old Testament starts off with the septenary arrangement, and the New Testament should, could have started off. Remember, the arrangement of the books is not inspired by Almighty God, nor are the chapter and verse divisions, okay? So we're not talking about something way out in left field when I mentioned that John should probably have started the New Testament, you know. Okay, the world's not going to turn upside down if they'd have put John the start of the Gospels instead of at the end of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. Remember, there's nothing said good about the darkness in Genesis. <laughs> Only the light. Okay? There was a separation made, but he blessed the light, and he didn't say anything good about the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from John, whose God, whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own things, and his own people didn't receive him. Talking about his first coming. The Jews rejected him. 
But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. And even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, of, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, the incarnation, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you skip on down to verse 29, okay, you start off the book of John with very familiar passage. What does verse 29 start with? The next day. So now we're day two, right? Jump to verse 35. What does that say? Again, the next day. So what day are we on now? Verse third day. Go to verse 43. What does that say? The next day, right? Now what day are we on? The fourth day. Now jump over to the beginning of chapter 2. What does chapter 2, verse 1 say? Excuse me? On the third day. So now what day are we on? 4 plus 3, that's simple arithmetic unless you got a common core education at today's public schools. Then they mess it all up and 4 plus 3 equals 9 and... I don't know about all that stuff. <laughs> all right? We were on the fourth day, and then chapter 2, verse 1 says, on the third day. So now you're on the seventh day, right? On the third day, he performs his first miracle of Cana of Galilee, or what we call miracles. They're actually signs. And who are signs for? The Jews. Okay? We commonly referred to as miracles in today's church, but they're signs, okay, Simeon in the Greek. They were signs for the people he was coming to, to legitimize the one making the offer in his ministry, right? So the Genesis starts off with a septenary arrangement. The book of John starts off with a septenary arrangement, and most of his miracles and the signs in John were performed on the Sabbath. And what day of the week is the Sabbath? The seventh day. Okay? Because they were for the Jews. Remember that man he healed back before they committed the unpardonable sin was both blind and dumb. He couldn't speak, couldn't see. Right? What's the nation of Israel now in a state? Corporately. They're blind and they're dumb. Okay? So those healings were a sign. They could be healed physically. They could also be healed spiritually if they would have repented. So you have that climactic Olivet Discourse which deals with all three people groups which Paul mentions also, doesn't he? Right? Give none offense either to the Jews or the Gentiles or the Church of God. Okay? All of that discourse starts off with the Jewish section, goes to the Christian section we just started, and then it ends with a Gentile section. Go back to Matthew chapter 24, 25, and we'll just point out the beginning of the Gentile section. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says, But when, which in the Greek is hoton day, H-O-T-A-N-D-E, Hotan Day, denotes another change, 
okay, in the Olivet Discourse. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when's that going to occur? At the end of the tribulation. And this Olivet Discourse, the Gentiles won't be dealt with. Those that survive the tribulation won't be dealt with until who, who are saved during the tribulation and don't get killed, right? They'll be judged right here at the end of the tribulation, heading into what period of time? The kingdom, okay? But they couldn't be dealt with till then because judgment begins with the church of God, right? So the Christian section, when we raptured out of here, what happens after we get raptured out of here? We stand before Jesus Christ in judgment, right? Then what's the tribulation for for the Jews? Judgment, right? And then those that are saved, Gentiles who are saved during the tribulation and, and survive it, because there is no resurrection mentioned here in this passage, the red. The ones that are saved during the tribulation and get killed are judged at a later time. You know, they're resurrected and judged. But right here, it's those who survive, Gentiles who survived the tribulation, who were saved during the tribulation. They're judged right here, and there's a separation made, right? And it's still, this future judgment is still based on their works. What works are this based on here in this passage? How they treated the Jews during the tribulation. So there's a separation made between what's called the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are those that treated the nation of Israel kindly during the tribulation. And they're allowed to go into the kingdom. And the goats are the saved ones that survived, but they treated the Jews poorly. Okay? And they're the goats and they're excluded from the kingdom. But see, the Gentile section is last, and they're judged last because judgment begins with the church of God, or the house of God. So, obviously, the Christians will get raptured out. We have to stand for judgment and give our reckoning for Jesus Christ, right? Whether we've an overcomer or we've been overcome during this dispensation. Then the Jews will be judged during the tribulation, become under such intense judgment that they will finally turn and cry out to God again who will send the deliverer, the one greater than Moses. Okay? And then the Gentiles will be judged. So you got a tripartite Olivet Discourse here. That number three will pop up if you're, as you're reading through Scripture and you're comparing types and antitypes. The number three pops up. Obviously, six is man's number. What's the mark of the beast? 666, right? Seven is another number of completion, as we said earlier, 10, even 40. 12 is God's governmental number, right? How many disciples did he choose? How many tribes were there in the nation of Israel? 12. You know, it wasn't just a good small group number Jesus was choosing when he had a purpose, you know, for choosing 12 disciples. There was 12 tribes of Israel. So, Appreciate there's a whole lot more study here in the Olivet Discourse, and I know we just touched it. Obviously, you can't cover it in one session, but I appreciate the opportunity to come. Even on short notice, I, anytime I can come over here with you, group of uh, believers, like-minded believers, and uh, 
get to enjoy God's Word. So, I don't know if Bob coming now. <laughs>